Well, it's good to see everyone on a Wednesday night. My name is Pastor Mike. I'm an associate pastor here at Anchor Faith Church, and we're in our second week of a series that we're doing for the whole month of May on ministry gifts. So we dove in last, night, uh, last Wednesday to lay some foundation. I'm going to go back and just do a quick review, and then we'll press forward tonight. I know the uh, denomination I came out of when I was young, uh, I knew nothing about this subject. And how many of you know, uh, we got a lot to learn from the Word. Uh, Paul told Timothy to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so I believe over these, uh, these few weeks that we have left, it'll really lay a foundation and an appreciation in you. Uh, for what God has set forth in his body through the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. And uh, we will go ahead and identify each of those so that you can know what a real one looks like. And if you know what a real one looks like, then you can identify what a fake one looks like. But nevertheless, they are reality within the body of Christ, and it is his will uh, that some in the body operate in these five ministry gifts. So for review, I just want to go ahead and define what does ministry mean? Because a lot of people think that ministry is standing behind a pulpit and preaching a sermon. And ministry does include that, but it's a lot more comprehensive than just that. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, the King James Version reads it like this. When Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. He touched her hand. The fever left her. She arose and ministered unto them. Now, the New King James Version says she served them. So ministry defined from the Bible is just service, just to serve. And you can serve in, uh, in, in a variety of ways, uh, but your care for others is the measure of your greatness. How you serve others is the measure of your greatness. In our kingdom, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, the Word of God says this, Jesus speaking to the disciples because they were arguing on who is going to be great within the kingdom of God. And greatness is okay. It's an ambition that you should have within the kingdom of God, but that requires less of you and more of him. To be great in the kingdom of God requires less of you and more of him. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, he said, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You know, a husband can serve his wife by doing the laundry. Amen. Uh, You can serve your clients by keeping your word. Right? You can serve others with faith-filled words to help build them up in their faith. Amen. So service is in a variety of forms. We jumped out last week into Psalms 92, verses 12 through 15. I just want to touch on a few points And then we'll launch forward this week, building some more foundation. In Psalms 92, verses 12 through 15, Psalm chapter 92, verses 12 through 15, Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, if you're taking notes, Uh, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in God Almighty. In verse 12, he gives two types of trees. And I want to identify those real quick. I talked about them in depth last week, but he said that the righteous shall flourish. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And a palm tree is is upright and victorious. A palm tree is something that's uh, growing with a healthy, in a healthy state. I just got some pictures from Haiti and uh, some unnamed men that were there. Of course, you'll have to figure out if you have the leading of the Holy Ghost because it's Pastor Earl, Matt Hunt, Daniel Melton, Josh Clay, and who am I missing? Trevor, sorry, Trevor. And I'll let you know it wasn't Trevor, so there's only four. At least I didn't see a picture of Trevor. Trevor. But, you know, we want to grow healthy. But uh, I heard that somebody was on their 21st cookie today. 
How many of you know that's not the kind of growth that we want? That's not how we want to enlarge our ministry. Calorically, all right? This is healthy growth. But the palm, the palm tree grows slowly but steadily from century to century, uninfluenced by the alter, alternation, alterations of the seasons which affect other trees. The palm tree does not rejoice over much in winter's copious rain, nor does it droop under the drought and the burning sun of the summer, neither heavy weights which people place upon its head nor the uh, urgency of the wind can sway it aside from the perfect uprightness. There the palm tree stands looking calmly down upon the world below and patiently yielding its large cluster of golden fruit from generation to generation, from generation to generation. The cedar tree, which is also mentioned in this first verse, verse 12, that we're looking at, this is actually the tree uh, that Solomon worked a deal with Hiram to get the cedars to come to build the temple because it was a very durable tree. It was uh, red in color. It was offensive to insects. It was very durable. The cedar is actually a type of Christian being evergreen, beautiful, aromatic, widespreading, slow-growing, long-lived, and having many uses. This is what the Word of God is saying to the church today. He wants you to be like a palm tree. He wants you to be like a cedar tree. The verse I really want to key in on as we go forward, though, is verse number 13. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And the word planted means that God wants you set somewhere. He wants you placed somewhere. He wants you put somewhere. He wants you fixed and established. There's an appointment that God has for you. He doesn't want you being a cruise-o-matic, but a charismatic, right? Hopping from one place to the next, one church to the next, those that are planted in the house of the Lord. There's something to be said when you let your roots sink down where you're supposed to be at. So I will tell you this. So I hope you're listening well. Do not let the devil creep into your life and plant a seed of offense. Are you listening? One way that the devil, and probably the most uh, majority of the time that he gets people to get out of a church is because he gets them offended with something going on inside these walls. So as God has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32 says, be you kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, even as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. If you back up in Ephesians a little bit, it says, be angry, but don't sin. God allows you to have the emotion of anger, but there's also a way in love that you can control yourself to filter some things that may be happening to you, whether perceived or rather reality. You want to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let your sun go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You want to deal with things daily. If you do not deal with things daily, you give the devil an opportunity and access into your life. Are you listening? If you harbor ill will, unforgiveness, uh, days will turn into weeks, weeks will turn into months, months will turn into years, and then you get over into what Hebrews calls a root of bitterness. And in a root of bitterness, that, that's a very, it's, it's possible by the Spirit of God to get that out of your life, uh, but it's better. How many of you know it's better to uh, weed your garden on a weekly basis than once every three years? I see our landscaping people, or lawn, lawn, yeah, landscaping people over there. Yeah, they know. Lawnscaping, landscaping, you got the interpretation, right? Matter of fact, I heard of one person that had, hadn't weeded their bed so long that they actually thought a tree was growing, but it was just a big weed. <laughs> so you want to take care of those things, but you want to be planted in the house of the Lord. You want to be set. You want to be fixed. You want to be ordained. I know myself, and there's others in this room that could testify, since I started my journey with the Lord back in 1997, God just worked everything out when I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I was working at Worthington Steel as a college temp. Um, you know, there was just a person there after I got born again. Uh, just, you know how God just puts people in your path at the right time and said, hey, 
uh, why don't you come to Rama Christian Center? And I went, and I was planted there until God told me. And when I left, it was right because God told me to leave, and I left with the pastor's blessing to go to Rama Bible Training Center. I was there for, you know, from uh, 98 all the way to 2004, so for six years. When I left Rama Bible Training Center, I left right. It was with a blessing. It wasn't because I was offended. It wasn't because I was mad. I mean, I've been walking in love with Pastor Marcus, and I, I mean, I'm trying to get him to let me sing. And I'm not offended. I'm still at Anchor Faith Church. But he really cares about you guys, so he knows that is not my gifting. But seriously, you want to make sure that you are forgiving, letting things go. The word forgive means to drop it, release it, let it go. Drop it, release it, let it go. You cannot mold dry clay. And that's what unforgiveness is in your life. It makes you hard. It makes you bitter. Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. He puts things on the inside of you. I believe tonight some things are going to be stirring on the inside of you, just a rekindling, a reminder of, of what God, the destiny that he has for you. But the word delight means to be soft and to be pliable. And if you don't allow the water of the word to work in you and you remove yourself from the word because of hardness, guess what? He, he can't work within your life. Only you re remove yourself from the Father's hands. It's not, let me put it this way, it's not his will for you to walk away from what he desires to do within you. But many people make that choice because they do get offended. Uh, in, in the Gospels, Luke, Matthew, Jesus warns us that offenses will come. It's inevitable. They're going to come. So I just want to admonish you, encourage you tonight to make sure that you're on guard. Can you receive that? Do you receive it? This is serious and sober business. Uh, this is life and death. God said it this way, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. And I believe this, some people's healings is just through the, the faith, the action of faith, just to forgive somebody. Just let it go. Let it go. So those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. And we looked at these uh, scriptures last week, Ephesians chapter uh, 3, uh, verses 14 through 15, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Because the house of the Lord literally defined means this, belonging to the same household, a family of descendants, of an organized body, of an organized body. Ma imagine if your physical body was disorganized, you'd say you'd have a disease within you or something was dysfunctional. You'd go to the doctor to get it back in. Order. If you have an irregular heartbeat, you want to get it back regular or in order. So those that are planted in the house of the Lord or of the family of God or the household of God, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If you back up a chapter in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 21, Paul tells uh, the Ephesus church this, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with, with the saints and the household of God. And you're being built. You are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you all are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Psalms 122.1 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us, let us go to the house of the Lord. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, those that are set, that are fixed, that are established. Once again, I want to challenge you, just because you're present with your body, are you bringing your spirit and your soul with you? No matter where I am, there I am, and I'm, I bring all that's within me, and I'm fully engaged. I told you this last week. So be fully engaged tonight. Receive all that God wants to impart and download to you. All right? 
And we talked about when you're planning the house of the Lord, you're gonna flourish. You'll see things happen that'll just work out. You'll live out Matthew 6, which says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. When you put God first, everything else will work out. When you put God first, everything else will work out. When you put him first in priority, everything else will work out. And the courts mean this, he, he has a place for you. And I said this last week, there's a grace for your place. And the courts literally means it was a place surrounded by a fence or it's, it's, a, it's an enclosure. It's where God wants you to be at. We looked at Genesis 2.15. It said, so the Lord God took the man he had made and put him in the garden. God put him in the enclosure or in the environment he wanted him to thrive in. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10, the Amplified Bible says this, just as each, each one of you has received a special gift, a spiritual talent, ability, a gracious, a graciously given by God, employ it in serving one another as it is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace, faithfully using the diverse, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God's unmerited favor. There's a grace for your place. I was thinking about this too. I didn't write this scripture down, but in the gospel there was one place that a person wasn't bringing forth fruit. And God's gonna come around every once in a while to make sure you're on track. It's called accountability. It could be through the pastor. It could be through the prophet. It could be through the apostle, right? It could be through one of these ministry gifts. It could be the Holy Ghost reminding you of something. But when he came to evaluate if this tree was bringing forth any fruit, it was not, and he said, let's cut it down. And there's still mercy in your life today, church. For some of you, God wants to dig around just like that story, cultivate it, fertilize it. Let's give it another year to bring forth fruit, the place where God set it, the enclosure, the court where God set it. Let's activate the grace so that you can start being productive in the kingdom of God. Because there is an assignment and there is a destiny and there is a purpose for every member of the body of Christ. There is an assignment, destiny, and purpose for every member of the body of Christ. There's no insignificant members in the body of Christ. You are an ambassador and a representative for God in the earth now. You, you are an ambassador, which means you represent his kingdom in the earth now, his culture, his habits, his customs, his way of doing things. And if you don't live it out and you don't talk about it, then it's not manifesting in the earth. And God wants you to live it out so well that it just flows out of you and it flows off of you, that you're light and salt in the earth. See, there's potential on, in, on the inside of all of this, all of us. Potential answers the question, what can I do? Have you ever asked yourself that question, what am I good at or what can I do? You're asking a question of potential. You're asking about your place. And there's a grace for that place. Your potential is everything that you could do but haven't done yet. Your potential is everything you could say but haven't said yet. Your potential is a book that you should write but haven't written yet. Your potential could be a business that you haven't started but you know you need to start. Right? What can you do? Your potential We good? Your potential, God wants to pull it out of you, and He's going to do that through His grace. He wants to work things out. You know, over in Philippians, it says, "Work out your own salvation, work out your own salvation." Listen, when you have a puzzle, you already have the, all the pieces, you just need to put them together. Farmers work the land not to get the land, but to develop what they already have. During a physical exercise, you don't exercise to get a body. You already have a body. You exercise to develop the body that God's given you. God has given you a new life. Now you're responsible to operate in the place that he's positioned you to be, to pull out the potential on the inside of you. And... As we, as we bring all this together over the weeks, the fivefold ministry is going to be necessary. Everybody say that. The fivefold ministry, five ministry is going to be necessary 
to help pull out the potential. Many times I've heard Pastor Earl say, since I've been with Anchor Faith Church in 2004, I want to pull out greatness on the inside of you. I want to pull out your gift. What's he saying? I want to get down on, with the grace that's on me, I want to get down at the grace that's in you and pull that potential and get you to the next level in Christ Jesus. It's going to take the fivefold ministry to assist you, though, in pulling out that greatness. Donald G. said this. He was a Pentecostal Bible teacher. He passed away in 1966, but he was called the Apostle of Balance. And in talking about the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor, he said that these ministries come fresh from the hand of the exalted Christ at the Father's right hand in heaven. They are his own provision for the continual need of his ministry in his church until she has arrived at her appointed consummation. They reveal God's continued love for and thought for his own on earth, even though he has ascended on high. They represent his deepest wisdom and perfection with which they fully meet her, the church's deepest need for powerful witness without and steady growth within. So this is the expectation that I have as you continue to connect with Anchor Faith Church. When you come to church, it's going to be steady growth within these walls or powerful witness without. When you come to Anchor Faith Church, you're a Wednesday, on a Sunday, during a men's meeting, women's meeting, whatever event it is, it's going to be steady growth within, just like that palm tree, steady and slow growth. Are you different this year than you were last year? Do you handle things more Christ-like right now than you did? Steady growth. Did something hit your life three years ago, and man, it put you in a funk for five days? But now, because you're connected with the body, and the fivefold ministry is giving this grace of God, I like what E.W. Kenyon calls the fivefold ministry God's love gift. He loves you so much that he set the fivefold ministry, which is only a part of the body of Christ, but he loves you so much that he wants to feed you and nourish you so you can continually grow. And something that took you out for five days, five years ago, in five hours, you're done with it now. That's growth. And I believe in two years from now, you'll be done with it in five minutes. Hallelujah. This is good news. Hallelujah. Steady growth within for powerful witness without. The, the, the third verse I want to cover, in, which is verse 14, is just a verse on longevity. I mentioned this last week, but as you grow with the Lord, one thing's about the palm tree and the cedar tree is they weren't just being trying to be productive for themselves. We have to have the mindset out of love that our life in Christ needs to be lived so well that we can minister to other people. And there's a thing called a legacy. A legacy is what are you gonna leave in the earth for future generations? When a palm tree dies, it's loaded down with fruit so seeds can still get in the earth. So you wanna live your life in Christ so well and grow up in him so well that you get better with age, not bitter with age. You get better with age, not bitter with age. You need to respond to the ability that God has placed on the inside of you. Because maturity does not come with age. It comes with the acceptance of responsibility. And responsibility means respond to the ability that God has placed on the inside of you. There's a grace that he's put. You just get old with age. Right? But you become mature when you accept responsibility And as you become mature, you have more influence that can spread out and touch the lives of other people. Philippians 1.6 says this, For I am convinced, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He that began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work, and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says this. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip and throw off every encumbrance, unnecessary uh, weight, and, and that sin which so readily and cleverly clings to and entangles us. Let us run with patience and endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away from all that would distract us to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, Jesus, for the joy of obtaining the prize, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So these two scriptures tell us that there's a race for every born-again believer in the body of Christ. The fivefold ministry is going to come alongside. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor is going to come alongside for steady growth within, for powerful witness without, so that you can run your race with all diligence, with all grace, with all effectiveness, with all fervency. And listen, your first assignment is to be who God created you to be. If you were born a man, then be the best man that God created you to be. If you were born a woman, then be the best woman that God created you to be. Hallelujah. If you're married, be the best husband, be the best wife you can be through the grace of God. And I had a word, if you're a, a single mom raising a child, there's a grace for you. Be the best mom you can be. And God will give you the grace to raise your children effectively because you have the best man there is, the man, Jesus Christ. And he is a father to the fatherless. Praise God. So just to remind you of our three parallel passages, I don't know if I need to go to hand mic or I'll, we'll try it. This thing needs some grace. It's not doing its purpose. Uh, the three parallel passages I gave you last week that really identify the body of Christ in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, and where we're going to launch out into tonight, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now, I read quite a bit of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 last week. I just want to zero in on one scripture or two scriptures uh, to launch us out in tonight, okay? Because we're going to talk about grace tonight. We're going to talk about God's grace tonight. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, the Amplified says this. Let me just read it from one translation, the J.B. Phillips. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is the one over all. Overall, and working through all, and the one living in all. Naturally, there are different gifts and functions. Individual grace is given to us in different ways out of the rich diversity of Christ's giving. So there's grace for all of us. In Romans 12, if you read one of these parallel passages by the Apostle Paul, he said, uh, whatever grace you have, you need to exercise. I'm paraphrasing that. But there's a grace given to everybody. There's a grace to sing. There's a grace to serve with those kids. Thank God there's a grace to serve with those kids. There's a grace to go in the nursing home. Yeah, well, I, I've done the nursing home ministry. It takes a great grace. You're dealing with people with dementia. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you're going for the staff who's dealing with those people on a daily basis. I'll never forget when I was leaving the nursing home one time. There was a lady that said, I need a man. She was single. And, and uh, who was it that, it was you. He said, this is your man. <laughs> Pastor Marcus pointed to me and said, this is your man. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Marcus. I said, you know, you need Jesus. Some 70-year-old lady in a wheelchair with no legs. She needed Jesus. True story. <laughs> but you need a grace in the nursing home. You need a grace to serve with the kids. You need a grace in the school system. 
You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You need the grace for wherever uh, God's placed you because there's a grace for your place. And this is the foundation for the following verses that we'll jump into for the weeks to come. But tonight, we really need to get to the understanding of what God's grace is. We need to understand the nature of God that prompted the giving of the ministry gifts. Now, a good way to define what something is is to define what it's not. So I want to talk about some misconceptions about grace tonight as we start looking at this word. In Jude... Four, there's only one chapter in Jude, but Jude 4, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, just as it were sneaking in by a side door. They are ungodly persons whose condemnation was predicted long ago, for they distort the grace of God into decadence and immoral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do whatever they want, and deny and disown our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So people are going to sneak into the church. They're going to try to sneak into your life. They're ungodly people. The Bible's already warned us about them. They want to distort the grace of God, and they want to have immoral freedom, not moral freedom, according to God's will, but lasciviousness or anything goes in your life. Titus chapter 2 Verses 11 through 13 says this. This is from the Amplified Bible also. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches, this grace teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires, to live sensibly, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity. In this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. So Jude and Titus both warn us that people are going to distort what grace truly is. They're going to say that, that grace is the ability to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Grace is not the ability to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Grace is not a license to violate God's law. Grace is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Grace is not sin now and ask for forgiveness later. Put it this way, grace is not greasy. It's not slippery. Grace is not the power to do, to do divine wrong, but it is the power to do divine right. Grace, the real definition of grace, is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. The divine influence. Influence is the moral power, and that power influence in your mind. So grace... Grace should help you teach you how to think correctly. It's called renewing the mind to the word of God. You, I like how Kenneth Hagin said it. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep a bird from building a nest on your head. And you want God's grace, his influence, that moral power of truth operating on your mind. Grace is joy. It's a delight of the mind from the meditation and thoughts of the present, the, the gift of grace, the present, like a Christmas present, it, joy, excitement at what God has given me in this gift of grace. Grace is liberality. It's true freedom, true deliverance. Pastor Marcy keeps on saying this and saying this to our staff. She is believing God for true deliverance complete wholeness and well-being. And grace will liberate you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, 
whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the, for in, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith that works through love. So when you have liberty in your life, you don't want to slip back in to bondage. You want to live in divine grace. Grace means this, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. Grace also means this, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It costs him something to get grace into your life. It's free for you, but it costs God Almighty the life of his son in order to get grace into your life. Therefore, it's costly, it's precious, and you do not want to abuse it or forget the value of it. You've heard it said it's unmerited favor, something you can't earn. Listen, grace is God's aggressive inclination to show favor, kindness, and bestow blessings upon us. Grace is God, uh, God's, God is, uh, grace is God's aggressive inclination to show favor, kindness, and bestow blessings upon us. Grace is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. Listen, grace will turn you to Christ, strengthen you, increase you in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindness to the exercise of Christian virtues. Grace is powerful. The root word for grace means to thrive, to grow, to increase, to advance. God wants you to take, take you from one state of faith to another state. He wants you to take you from glory to glory. There's capacity on the inside of you that God wants you to release while you're alive in the earth. It's gonna take his grace working through you. He wants you to thrive. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve, whereas mercy is not getting what we did deserve. And I think the church gets mercy and grace confused. In Hebrews chapter four, verse number 16, it says this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, not timidly, not with doubt, but let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Mercy means to forgive somebody, an offender that should be punished, but mercy withholds the judgment in their life. But this verse tells us that grace helps us in the time of need. And grace literally means it's, it's like a, a rope or a chain that you can take hold of to draw you close to God to strengthen you in the things that he's called you to do. In the ministry of Jesus, it was a ministry of grace. He needed the grace of God to do what God called him to do, just like you need the grace of God to do what he's called you to do. In John chapter one, verses 14 through 17, the word says this, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. And of his fullness have we received grace for grace for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The ministry of our Lord and savior Jesus was a ministry of grace. It strengthened him for his journey on the earth. In Luke chapter two, verse number 40, it says this, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. This is talking about Jesus when he was a child. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. In the ministry of Paul, he needed grace to do what God called him to do. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. Have you ever seen somebody walk through a circumstance that you knew was a, an extreme trial in their life, but you were able to see the grace of God upon them during that trial? Yeah. 
That's somebody that's exercising grace in their life. Peter needed grace. We've already read this scripture, but it's worth repeating. 1 Peter 4.10, he says this, as each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. So Jesus needed grace. Paul needed grace. Peter needed grace. Grace is a divine empowerment to do right. Grace is a divine empowerment to propel you into your destiny and the purpose that God has for you. Are you operating in your own strength as this day comes to a conclusion? Are you operating the grace of God? I submit to you, church, we need to make sure that we're operating through his grace. I want to give you three aspects of grace. Three aspects of grace. Number one, there's a saving grace. The first aspect of grace, there's a saving grace. And saving grace is this, God's supernatural ability released towards others, enabling them to become new creations or new creatures. Saving grace is God's supernatural ability, his power released towards an individual, enabling them to become a new creature. This includes salvation. Saving grace includes the new birth. Saving grace includes remission of sins. Saving grace includes sonship. Saving grace includes righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17 says this from the Phillips translation. For if any man is in Christ, he's become a new person altogether. The past is gone and finished. Everything has become fresh and new. That's saving grace. Another translation says this. If anyone has entered into fellowship with Christ, a new world has opened up at once to him. An old world has passed away. You're a brand new creature by saving grace. The name of Jesus, the blood that's on the mercy seat, the confession in his finished work allows the saving grace. You didn't do anything to earn it. Just an action of faith to receive that grace into your life, to position you as a daughter of God, a son of God, to receive the gift of salvation. But we don't stop there. The second aspect of grace is this, standing grace. A lot of people only know this one aspect of God, saving grace, but there's so much more to God. There's so much more to God. We always need to be studying and growing and meditating on the word of God. There's so much to discover in him. He is wonderful. The second aspect of grace is standing grace, and this is God's supernatural ability released towards an individual, enabling them to stand victoriously and reign in life. So we go from saving grace to the second aspect of grace, which is standing grace. God's supernatural ability released to an individual, enabling them to stand victoriously and to reign in life. Oh, do we need God's standing grace? Yes, this, this grace helps us with victory. And victory is the advantage or superiority gained over spiritual enemies, over passions and appetites, over temptations or struggles. Standing grace helps you to live victoriously over anything that's not of God in your life. Don't say, I can't do this. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If God has told you, if God has told you, if you've got it in your prayer closet, man, that's enough to stand. One day, Peter, walking with Jesus, and listen, sometime when the storms of life are hitting you, Jesus don't look like Jesus. Peter's walking with him day and night. He asked this fascinating question when the 12 apostles are in the boat. He said, Jesus, is that you? I'm thinking, Peter, you're with them all the time. Do you need to go to the optometrist? But standing grace will help you to do something you've never done before. 
Maybe you haven't cast off a besetting sin. Tonight is your night. Your line of demarcation where you take out the sword of the spirit. I like King David. Because after he killed Goliath with the rock, and he was dead just to make sure, he took his own sword and severed his head from his body. Because he didn't want one of those freaky Jason movies, you know, where that thing keeps on coming back up. Don't let it come back up. You put it where it belongs, under your feet. Standing grace to live victorious in life. If you do not master your passions, your passions will master you. But God has given you the standing grace to overcome anything in life. We need to tap into this. Standing grace includes confidence. Confidence. Paul made this statement, I know whom I have believed. I know that's confidence whom I have believed. And I'm assured that he's going to keep me on this journey. He's the same one that wrote, he that began a good work, confidence, he will complete it. He is the author and the finisher, confidence, a complete reliance and trust on Christ. Standing grace includes strength. Strength is the quality of a person by which they sustain the application of force without breaking or yielding. Strength is about firmness, being solid, and being tough. We need some tough Christians with a crowbar in their backbone that'll stand up and love and overcome things. Standing grace. Standing grace gives you authority. In Matthew 16, Matthew 18, two great chapters. But he said this in one of them. That's why I gave you both of them because I can't remember which one it's in. (laughs) But it's in there. One of those two chapters, you can study it. I should just turn there and look at it. That'd probably be appropriate. (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yes, Matthew 18, like I said. (laughs) Matthew 18, 18 says this, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bond on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Standing grace gives us authority. It didn't say whatever Jesus bonds on earth. It didn't say whatever Jesus looses on earth. Standing grace. Grace gives you the authority through him to bind and to loose things. Romans 5, 17 says this, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. That word reign in life, reign means this, to exercise kingly authority. Do you see yourself as royalty in a position of power in him? A king exercises authority. Literally, it means you're the governor of a province, your own territory. I can encourage Pastor John in his walk But ultimately, he governs his own life. He is the priest of his own life. It's up to him to maintain his righteousness, bind and loose by the authority granted him through the grace of God. I can help keep him accountable, but you are the governor. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life and issues of the flesh are always a result of issues of the spirit. Don't clip the fruit, get to the root. Authority, victory, confidence, strength in his standing grace. Romans 8.28, I'm going to get to Romans 8.37, but Romans 8.28, I like this because it talks about purpose. 
It talks about the plan. It talks about us being in him. And it talks about the power that he's released to us. This is from a translation called the Reichert translation. It says in Romans 8, 28, his spirit works out everything perfectly for all who love God. We see this in his amazing plan of progression. The father above us has outlined a course for us to follow as esteemed colleagues of his magnificent son, Jesus. First, God identifies us as his own, then introduces us to our privileges and responsibilities. Furthermore, he makes us viable and competent and grants us his divine splendor, standing grace. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Another translation says, No, in all these things we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. Another translation says, Listen, in all these things Jesus, our great leader, has established us as invincible champions through his amazing provision in Christ. Invincible champions in him. You don't have to lose in life. You can win in him. The last aspect of grace is this serving grace. Serving grace. Hallelujah. As we come to a close, last one. God's supernatural ability released towards an individual, enabling and equipping him to minister with the ability of God. God's supernatural ability released towards an individual, enabling and equipping him to minister or to serve with the ability of God. And in this serving grace, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. These are God's love gift to you. As the apostle uh, of balance, Donald G. said, they're given fresh from the throne of God to help you to grow steadily within these walls for powerful witness without.